Welcome to the Declaration Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor John Sherrill. For more information about Declaration Church and other resources, visit declaration.org. Man, it's, it's great to be here this morning. I believe that God is doing incredible things. Um, for the last six weeks, God has been inviting us to go even deeper with him, um, to go deeper with him, deeper in our trust of him, deeper in our growth, deeper in our giving, deeper in our obedience, deeper going all in with him, um, to grow in perseverance, to, to share his promise, to be evangelistic, living that as-you-go lifestyle to, that would show God to be attractive, to, to serve with purpose, plugging into that thing that God created you for. He's wired every single one of us to want to leave a legacy, to make a difference, to leave a kingdom impact. So to serve with purpose, to give with passion. To, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we launched this, um, this giving challenge, givechallenge.org or com, I can't remember, but declaration.info for sure. And if you go to that, we, we asked you um, to look at scripture and see where God said, test me on this. It's the only place you see in scripture where he says, test me on this. Bring back to me that 10%. Bring back what is already mine as, an, as, as bringing it, returning it back to God. And the challenge is, See if he doesn't do an incredible thing within 90 days. And we've already heard an amazing report where God has absolutely answered above and beyond all of our hope. And, and so, man, I just want to say, yay, God, for that. You know, someone stepped in. They said, I'm going to take that challenge. And, man, God met them right there and blessed them so far and above. Can we just give God praise for that for a second? We'll tell you more about that later. But if you feel led to jump in on that give challenge, man, to test God 90 days, jump in. It is not too late. Um, so God is just saying, go all in, man, go all in. And the last thing we were challenged with last week was to go in power. And, and man, we got through last week and I, and, and I thought, okay, great. We're going to move on from this series. And God said, no, you're not because you did not finish that sermon last week. That was a long sermon last week, was it not? Don't say anything. And so, you know, it just part of it was probably some of the events of the week. I had already kind of moved on in my mind. And, and as the week un- unpacked, I just really felt like I need to come back and, and, and maybe put some exclamation point to what I mean when it says go in power. And so that's kind of where we're going to go today. I want to remind you of Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Jesus says, he's commanding to go, go into all the world and preach, go and declare the gospel to all creation. And listen, church, I've said this so many times, and I'm going to keep saying it over and over because I believe someone needs to hear this. We were made on purpose by God for purpose. We were made on purpose and for purpose. You are not an accident. You're not some sort of cosmic accident. God created you intentionally for such a time as this. There is no one else like you. There is no other you in all of creation. You are uniquely you that God created for unique purpose. He's given you unique skill set, unique talent, unique offerings to bring back to him. He's even given you your own unique mark and a thumbprint that no one else in all of creation shares. He created you on purpose for purpose. You have a God-designed destiny, a God-designed destiny just for you. I believe that we are called, we are chosen, we are commanded, and we are commissioned to go in power as a minister on mission, to declare his mighty acts, to proclaim his kingdom come, to carry this fire, right, this fire of his glory and his presence everywhere we go to share the good news, to share the message of life eternal and abundant. God wants to use you for incredible things and in supernatural ways. I want you to remember John chapter 14, verse 12, because Jesus said, and he says, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And then he goes on, he doubles down, watch what he says. He says, and he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Man, that, that is mind-blowing. Because, he's, listen, because Jesus is saying, I'm going to go to the Father. He's going to ascend on high. I'm going to leave you here to be my reflection. I'm going to leave you here to be my ambassador, to be my agent of reconciliation and redemption. I'm going to leave you here to be my street rep. That's what he's saying. Street team. As we go, as we do life, we are to live a life that declares his greatness. We are to move forward in faith, believing God to use us to make an eternal kingdom difference. Legacy. To live on mission. Matthew chapter 10, 7 and 8. He says, as you go, believe it or not, I actually tried to get the website asyougo.com. Someone had taken it. I'm very bitter. I'm praying through it. 
It's great. As you go, because that needs to be our mentality in all things. As you go, he says, proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you receive, now freely give. Now some of you are like, whoa, what does that mean? You know what? It might literally mean raise the dead. It might mean that 40-something-year-old guy who steps into this house, barely shuffling, doing, almost doing his own death shuffle, just kind of trying to get to the next day, trying to get to the next moment. And all of a sudden, man, the Spirit of God grabs his heart, completely changes everything about him, heart, life, mind, and now he's completely brand new. That's a miracle. That's seeing the dead raised right there. Man, it might mean a lot of things, but here's what I know. All I know is that he says, you do these things. This is what these things look like for those who are doing the things that I did. So that's what we're to be about, that we would declare him, that we would live in such a way to carry his presence, that we would live in a way that, that believes for healing, that we would live in a way that shows him to be true and attractive in every way, that we would believe him in this way. And act upon it, realizing he did not die for us to become good sin managers. Come on, somebody. He did not die for this. He died so that we would be dead to sin and made alive in Christ. Arthur Pink says, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. This is what it's about. This is what it's about. That we would live in such a way that we would be so intimately known and know Jesus, filled with his spirit, walking in power that literally the demons of hell would shudder, flee, and run when we walk into a room. Here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that sold out, all in, born again believer, spirit-filled Christian, filled with the spirit of God. Every time you walk into a situation or a circumstance or a room, the atmosphere shifts. It's not you, it's him that's in you because 1 John 4 says, greater is him that is in you than he that is in the world. So where is he calling us to go? What is he asking us to do? What is he saying concerning these things that we've been talking about? You know, what we're doing here is not a noun, it's a verb. (laughs) Worship's a verb. Your walk with God is a verb, just as much as your walk with your spouse is a verb. Come on, husbands, wives. If there were a noun, uh uh-oh. If there were just a thing... Now, some of you guys may be like, some of you girls are like, you better not be. You know, black guy. I'm telling you. It's a verb. So where is he calling us to go? What is he saying concerning these things? What are our next steps that he's leading us to take individually and corporately? Matthew 28, 19, let me remind you, Jesus gives us this great commission. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we're told by Jesus that we are to be on mission making disciples. So here's the first thing that we need to see today. In order to make a disciple, you must first be a disciple. You've gotta be one who follows Jesus. We were talking about this earlier, me and a couple of guys in the back, and, 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 and um, Michael um, said something about, you know, it's the difference between being a fan of Jesus versus a follower of Jesus. And I feel like I'm afraid that we've got a church um, in America full of fans of Jesus, but not truly followers of Jesus. That's going to be a whole series I, I feel coming, just so you know. In order to make a disciple, we've got to be a disciple. So let's just start here right now. Do you know Jesus? Do you truly know Jesus? Not just about Jesus. Not, not, not that you've just kind of been around Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Is it real to you? Have, he, have you invited him to, to take over the entirety of your life? Have you surrendered control to Jesus? Are you so thankful to Jesus because you recognize that he died for you to give you purpose on earth here, abundant life, but also to secure your place after you die, eternal life? Do you know him? Have you offered the fullness of your heart to him? Because if you have not, man, this is a great place to begin. If you're going to make a disciple, you've got to be a disciple. Um, Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So maybe we just need to begin there. If you will, close your eyes with me just for a moment. I'm going to ask you, do you know Jesus? Not church, not do you have a relationship with religion, not are you trying to be a good sin manager, a good immoral person. I'm talking about, do you know the life-changing truth of Jesus Christ? The, the, The difference maker, the X factor that takes you from death to life. 
the, the one who brings the, the, the peace and the, the fulfillment and the joy and the love that you, you can't even put to words sometimes. Do you know this Jesus? Because if you don't know Jesus, and again, I'm not talking about church. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about denominations. You can be a good Baptist and still find your way to hell. You heard that thunder. Man, that is some good timing. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> He's preaching today. <laughs> Do you know him? So with your eyes closed, man, it's a simple question. And the simple answer is, yes, I want to know him, or yes, I do know him. Or, no, I don't care to. But if you want to know Jesus, do what the word says. Simply call upon his name. I need forgiveness, Jesus. I need freedom. I want to know you. I surrender to you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for taking my place. Thank you for paying for my crimes. Would you save me? Now, with your eyes closed, would you do me a favor? If you prayed that prayer this morning, because maybe this is the first time you're trying to know Jesus, you're coming to him, not church, not religion, and you pray that, would you lock eyes with me so I see you? Okay. I'm still looking. Thank you guys for looking. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Listen, this is the most amazing commitment, life-changing commitment that you're ever going to make. I want to hear from you. If you were looking at me, every other chair, there's a connect card. Please give me your name and email and just answer the questions on that card so I can reach out to you this week and put it in the give box at the end of the service, okay? But that is something to praise God for. So can we just thank the Lord for what he's doing right now in so many lives right now? All right, everybody, buckle your seatbelt. I got a lot to get through in a little bit of time. Are you ready? All right. Here's the good news. And I want you all, I want everybody to know this. I've said it before, I'll say it again. He will never leave you. He will never abandon you. He will never orphan you. I mean, this is stuff that Jesus said from his own lips. I'll never leave or forsake you. I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age, he says. He will be with you and he will give you everything you need in order to accomplish the purpose that he has created you for. Look at John 20, verse 21 and 22. Jesus said, peace to you as the father has sent me, I also send you. And then after saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Be encouraged. When God calls you, he equips you and he empowers you. He equips you and he empowers you. I remember at 15 years old looking across from Alex uh, and, and, and saying, I feel like God's calling me to this ministry. I don't, I don't understand it. Kind of mischievous. All I did was play drums. Alex, I don't know what this means. All I do is play drums, dude, and get in trouble. And he kind of laughed and he said, don't worry, John. God never calls just the talented and the already equipped. He will always equip those that he calls. I've never forgotten that. It has stuck with me. This is where the in power of go in power comes from. The Holy Spirit breathing on you, living inside of you, filling you to overflow. Have you experienced the breath of God? Have you asked for that? Have you received the Holy Spirit in the infilling of your, your life? Listen, I'm not talking about being sealed by the Holy Spirit. I believe that that happens at the point of your conversion to Jesus. At the point of your salvation, I believe he seals you. That is, is kind of the exclamation point of promise. I'm talking about being filled with the Spirit of God. I believe that there's a difference. I got a Yeti cup once for a holiday. Anybody ever? Yeti? Anybody? Anybody? I mean... Some of you, hey, Sam, fisherman, hunterman, you should be like, oh, yeah. I mean, this is like, yep, there you go. All right, thank you. I got a Yeti cup once, 32-ounce, 32-ounce Yeti cup, just the right size. I don't think any other cup should even exist, in my opinion. Just the right size. The Yeti cup promised to do amazing things. Listen, they will keep cold things cold for a very long time. They will keep hot things hot for a very long time. The Yeti cup is promised to do amazing things. You can put a lid on the Yeti cup and seal that dude up, and it will keep you from spilling, no doubt. 
Keep it hotter, keep it colder. There you go, Sam. Now watch this, watch this. That Yeti cup cannot be used for its intended incredible purpose unless it is filled with something first. I'm preaching. Here's what I came to tell you today about going in power. Many of us are on the go. We're very good at going. Look at your calendar. Trust me. I feel like a chauffeur for my kids 24-7. We're good at going. My question is, are we going in power? Are we going with purpose? Are we filled and being filled day by day with the Holy Spirit to accomplish the task that he's laid before us to give us the answers to the assignment that he's giving us in the moment? Today is an incredible day on the church calendar. It's a day that we call Pentecost. In the Greek, Pentecostos means 50. Pentecost is a Jewish holiday held 50 days after Passover. We celebrate this day as a holy day, which marks the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's 40 days after Easter. It's the birthday of the church that we know. So last week, we looked at the book of Matthew um, following the ascension of Jesus. On this Pentecost day, we're going to kind of talk about the same events following that same story, but from a different place. So we're going to go to the book of Acts. I'm going to read a ton of text to you, okay? Because I want you to see the breadth of the story. So let's start in Acts 1. Luke is speaking here. He's following up his gospel. He's writing to a guy named Theophilus, who's potentially a Roman government official and one who's already had some sort of instruction in the faith. So look at Acts 1. Verse one, he says, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to the many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. And he goes, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he said, it's not for you to know times or periods that the father has set by his own authority. But he's saying, basically, don't worry about that. I'm gonna tell you what you can know. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We go to verse 12. He said, then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs, the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, Simon the Zealot and Judas, the son of James. They're all there. And it says 14, look at what it says. They were all continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. They were all continually united. They were what? In prayer. They prayed. They prayed. They were waiting and praying. Prayer was the thing that was keeping them together, united and focused. Listen, listen. Maybe you're wondering, man, what is my purpose? What on earth am I truly really here for? What does God want to do with me? What could God do with me? What could God do with me? Listen, if you're waiting to know the purpose that God has for your life, begin to just plug into God and he will reveal it. But maybe you just need to do as the disciples did. Maybe you need to wait and pray for a minute. Wait on God. He's always on time and he always pays for what he orders. He will bring to fruition his purpose. Jesus told the disciples not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait, wait for the promise, wait for the gift. Remember, he said, John baptized you with water, but you're about to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Go on to Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, the day we celebrate today, they're all together in one place. And suddenly the sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. I'm imagining um, a thunder, just like you heard. I'm imagining the sounds of you know, of uh, uh, tornadoes and hurricanes. I mean, just a violent rushing wind sound. Imagine sitting in a place, you're doing what you've done. You've come to the festival, you're doing your religious duty. And then all of a sudden the ground begins to shake. It begins to get really loud and windy. And then it says, they begin to see tongues like flames of fire that separated and rest on each of them. So be in the room, the thunder's happening, the earth's kind of shaking, um, the wind is blowing. And then all of a sudden, imagine you begin to see fire in the atmosphere and it begins to just rest on every person. This is what's playing out right now on Pentecost. 
It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Different languages, different dialects. Now, there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. And when the sound began to happen, when all of these languages begin to erupt in this symphony of praise, in this glorious moment, the crowd comes together confused because they begin to hear these things being said in their own language. They're understanding what's being said. They're astounded and amazed, verse 7 says. And they're saying, look, aren't all these people who are speaking, aren't they all Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, uh, Egypt, all the parts of Libya near Siren, visitors from Rome, Jews, converts, Cretans, Arabs. We hear them, I love this, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. What is going on? The presence of God fell and the response was a declaration of his greatness. Verse 12, they're all astounded and they're perplexed and they're saying to each other, what does this mean? But remember a few weeks ago, if you're here, I made the statement, kind of a quick swipe, but true. Why is it that the spirit of religion always pushes against the spirit of Jesus? Because watch what happens. But some, in verse 13, some sneered and said, well, they're just drunk on new wine. They're just drunk on new wine. I want to be drunk on that wine. I'm serious. I'm not trying to be funny right now. It says they're drunk on new wine. This was an outright rejection of the gift of God for some people. Beyond that, it's really just an outright rejection of God himself. These that are sneering on, well, they're just drunk. Watch what Peter says. I love this. Peter stands up with the 11, raises his voice, proclaims to them, fellow Jews, all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain to you what's happening. Pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. I love that. As if somewhere there's a Jimmy Buffett fan going, it's five o'clock somewhere. I don't know. No, he's saying, they're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. They're not drunk. Let me just... Pause, push the pause button with me. And I want you to think about the scene, think about the environment, think about the atmosphere, think of everything that's going on and ask you, what would our response to an outpouring of the Holy Spirit be if it were like that today? I mean, if he moved in this way amongst us, what would our response be? They said, ah, they're just drunk on new wine. No, no, they're not drunk, man, it's early. I mean, yeah, I know. It looks like there's fire resting on each other. And they're speaking in many languages. It seems crazy, but they're not drunk. It might look crazy. Verse 16, on the contrary. Now, what Peter does, is he kind of reaches back from an old prophecy. And he starts to claim Joel over them. Starts to just recite the book of Joel. It says, and it will be in the last days that God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in heaven and signs on the, the earth below. Blood and fire, a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. And 21 says, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When God moves, people become saved. And then Peter continues just declaring the gospel. Well, watch what he says, 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to my words, he says. This Jesus of Nazareth, he was a man attested to you by God with miracle signs and wonders that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, watch this, he says, you, you use lawless people to nail him to the cross and kill him. He just got real in that place. Everything about him was true. You did that. And then he says in 24, but God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held down by death. 
For David said of him, I saw the Lord before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not abandon me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. But you have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers and sisters, Peter goes on. He says, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried. And his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what has to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades and his flesh did not experience decay. God raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received the From the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear right now. This that you are experiencing is all this Jesus who truly was God that you set up to die. It's true. That's what Peter just said. It was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself said, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, Peter says. He's made him both the Lord and the Messiah. He's saying, remember, you did this. You crucified him. He was indeed sent by God and he is indeed the Lord and the Messiah. And he is the one responsible for everything that's happening right now in your midst that some of you are saying, ah, it's just new wine. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Maybe your translation says they were cut deep in the spirit and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what do we do? Brothers, what do we do? Maybe your translation says, what must we do to be saved? So these are the very people who Peter had just boldly declared the gospel, but also reminded them, hey, this guy who some of you even in this room are still questioning is the guy that you set up to be murdered. And he is truly God. He is not seeing death or decay. He was raised on high with God, seated at his right hand. He is the Lord and the Messiah. And he is the one bringing this activity on us today because the prophet Joel said it was gonna happen. He is who he said he was. He is doing what he said that he would do. So yeah, they're going, man, what do we do? What must we do? Peter replies, repent and be baptized, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. Look at the beautiful grace of God on display in that statement. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. Can I pause and just say this? If the generation that Peter was living in was declaring this to was corrupt, how much more thousands of years removed from that moment is ours corrupt? 41, those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day about 3000 people were added into the kingdom. Man, have you accepted this message, this good news of Jesus? Because our sin put him on the cross. Have you been baptized? Maybe that's your next step. So what happened next? Verse 42 says three words that I love. It says they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. What to? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And it says everyone was filled with awe. This described the posture of these people. My question is, does this describe us? Are we truly dedicated so much so that we would say, yes, God, I am all in no matter what. All in no matter what. There is nothing that will trump my time, my talent, my mo- the money that you give to me. There is nothing that will trump this unless it's from you first or for you first. That's it. Devoted. And it says this, watch this, watch the result. It says, and many signs and wonders were being performed through the apostles. The signs and wonders were accompanying those who were sent by God on mission. And it says, and all the believers were together and had all things in common. They were unified around this common purpose, this common name, one name, Jesus. This purpose kingdom became so much more important than anything else. So look what they did, 45. They sold their possessions and property and they began to distribute the, the proceeds to all as anyone had need. They didn't wait for a mission team to be established. They, went, they didn't wait for benevolence. 
of its line to be established. They just started seeing the need and saying, you know what? I'm gonna meet that need. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Why? Because I can. Because God's given to me and I'm gonna give to them. I'm gonna give back to God. They met needs. They became what God would use to answer the prayers of these people. Every day, 46 said, they devoted themselves to meeting together. They were diligent. They were disciplined. Nothing else would become more important. They devoted themselves to meeting together, to being together. It said in the temple and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts and they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord continued to add to the number of those who were being saved because of the response of these people to the gospel message. Listen to me. Listen to me. Because of the Holy Spirit, there was a unity. There was purpose. There was desire and passion. There was friendship and community, and it was authentic. It wasn't pretensive. It wasn't plastic. It wasn't ambiguous social media community. It was real because it was incarnational. They were together. There was personal growth. There was covering. There was prayer. There was joy. There was favor. And then there was multiplication. It's a byproduct. It's a natural byproduct when, when the authentic nature of God begins to authentically lived out by people who are striving authentically to be like God. So a few observations about this church, and we'll close here in a minute. Number one, they were a church of prayer. Acts 1.14 says, and they were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. They were continually united in prayer. Number two, they were a church who modeled patience. Acts 2.1, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Why? Because Jesus had said, wait for this to happen. It's about to go down, but wait for it. And so they waited for it to come. They did what Jesus told them to do. They waited and were watching for him. They lift their eyes looking for him. He had promised them his spirit and power so they could really make that difference. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, supposing that it hasn't happened yet when this statement was made. You're gonna get it, wait for it. And then once you have it, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So they were a church that... We're modeling patience. Number three, they were a church marked by his presence. Acts chapter two, verse four. Then they were all filled with the spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the spirit enabled them. Let me push pause and say this. Some of you are probably going, well, what do you think about that? Let me tell you what I think about that. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't understand why we would try to need to put him in some sort of box that says, well, God, I know you're the same and this is what you did and this is how you did it, but you only did it then for those people. No, 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 no. I believe that the gifts are still absolutely active and real. The challenge is that we're just not seeking them and asking for the greater gifts as the Bible tells us that we should. And here's the other thing I'll say. I do not believe, just, and I say this gently in love, I do not believe that tongues is a, it's a necessary thing. Like it is, the, in the, it is the evidence of the initial infilling of the Holy Spirit. I do believe it can be an evidence Okay, and I say that lovingly because I, I, and I say it lovingly because some of you might have been raised in a context that said, if you don't do this, then you don't do that. That's giving a lot of power to yourself. So push pause and just zoom out a little because if it's gonna happen, it's gonna be from the Lord and it's a gift and it should be stewarded well. And corporately, there's things that go in with that gift. I, 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 hey, listen, I love the ARC, the Association of Related Churches, because I love what they say. We wanna plant life-giving churches who are all about the Holy Spirit, but aren't weird. I love that. I love it. I don't wanna be weird. You know why? Because there's too many people out there that need to know the truth of Jesus. And if all they do is come in and go, man, you guys are weird. No, 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 life-giving. I wanna invite you to something that's gonna change everything. And you know what? It's not us. Our songs and sermons, they're good, but they ain't that good. It's only by the Spirit of God. So they were marked by his presence, Acts 2, 17 and 18. It will be in the last days, God says, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Well, if he says I'm gonna do that in the last days, then what theological lie have we bought? Do, are we beyond the last days? And if that's the case, then we're left behind and we're in trouble. It's just, a, it's just an observation. In the last days, he's going to pour out his spirit on all people, not just select. That was free and not in my notes. I'm going to have to check myself on it. <laughs> but he says, God so loved the world. 
pouring himself out. God, he's pouring. Man, I just pray that he would pour himself out in such a way that is, it, it's, it's all that we can handle. That he would pour himself out in such a way over Declaration Church that it's almost more than we can physically handle. That God, that you would literally pour out your spirit over this church and over our city and over our community to the point of all that we can handle. Because that's what we need. We don't need any more seven habits of highly effective people. It's not working. Oprah is a really great salesperson. She's a great, she's a great person to, to make a sale on her favorite products. But she is not, even though she's remembering your spirit, she ain't doing nothing to change it. I'm just saying, I love Oprah. I, I miss her. I do. I wanted to go and be on her show and get a free car. I'm just saying. I know someone who was there. They were a church marked by his presence. Number four, they were a church moving in his power, Acts 2, 41. So they, those who accepted his message were baptized. Notice, those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to breaking the bread of fellowship, to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. They were a church moving in his power. Number five, they were a church motivated to love people, Acts 2, 44. All believers were together. They held all things in common. See, they understand there's nothing wrong with possessions as long as possessions don't possess you. In fact, God may have given you those possessions so that you can help someone else. And so, man, they would sell things that they had because they didn't need it, and they would meet the need of other people. They would distribute as proceeds as all that had need. Every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together and they would break bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere. They were motivated by love. They loved people because they loved God. Number five, they were a church of praise, Acts 2, 47, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And finally, number seven, they were a church of imperfect people, but of purpose. Look at Acts 2, 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus who you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. It was our sin. But they were in the mix, in the moment, saying, yeah, kill him. Yeah, do that. Give us Barabbas to take him. These are the people that Peter is boldly proclaiming the gospel to. These are the people who were in the 3,000 that were being saved. So God uses imperfect people. This is good news for somebody. If you're like me, man, I could give you a laundry list of every reason why God should not use John Sherrill. But this is the grace and the beauty and the, the, the mystery of God. Is that he wants to take a misfit like me and use him for his kingdom and his glory. Acts 1.8, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So what about us? What about our church? Man, I so desperately want us to be a church like we see in Acts 2, where our posture would be of prayer first, patience to wait on God, presence where we chase after the presence of Jesus and welcome Holy Spirit into this mix. You know, I was saying this to the team about a year ago. I said, if the, the triune God is three in one, one in three, and it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, not Father, Son, Holy Scripture, Holy Spirit... Said, so if we can give ourselves to the Father and Son, but we ignore the Spirit of God, that's a 66.6% average. That's failing by public school standards. No wonder why the church is struggling. That we would chase after the presence, that we would be a church of power, where because of His presence, we walk in power and authority. That, that we would be a church about people, where we deeply love people because we deeply love God. That we would be a church of purpose. No, we're not perfect, but we are so thankful because we know God, because we have, are finding freedom. Many of us, chains are breaking, fear is bowing in Jesus' name, because we're discovering that we were created on purpose, for purpose. And as we love Jesus and declare His greatness and live on mission together in unity, God begins to move in such powerful ways that this community can't help itself. They're filled with awe. They want to know what's going on. It's like Wesley said, get on fire for God. People will come just to watch you burn. We are making a huge kingdom impact if we're walking in the presence of God, in the power of God, in the spirit of God. We're making a difference. We're going to leave a legacy. So what about you? Where are you? Where are you? With the, we need to be filled with the spirit of God. I just wonder. In all of my theological study of life, I can tell you, I can probably count the times on one hand, I've brushed up against this subject and move away because my upbringing is not comfortable with this subject. I'm just going to be honest. But there's something to it. And before you send me an email, I'm going to just encourage you, just sit down, ask the Lord to open your eyes and just read solidly through the book of Acts a couple times. 
I was hired and quit in the same day at a church once. Because I was hired, I went in to do the Wednesday night, and the guy stood up in front of 200 students who were captive taking notes. I was like, what are you giving these children to sit down and take notes? And he stands up, he goes, we're gonna continue our book of Acts. Remember, it's just a summary, it's a story. We get no theology from it at all. And I walked up to him at the end, I said, thank you, but I cannot be here. Because I will not be a part of something teaching a generation of students unbelief. Read the book of Acts. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God. When's the last time you asked him, fill me anew? I need your Holy Spirit to fill me right now. So that we can be equipped and empowered to do all that he's called us to do. In order for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I believe you have to be emptied first. You have to surrender. You've got to be emptied of self. You've got to be emptied of sin. Watch. You've got to be emptied of your self-reliance, your rationale, your self-sufficiency, your logic even, your your intellectualism. Some of us may even be emptied of some theology that we've taken. Remember, theology is just a study of God. It's not God. I'm a fan of theology, but I'm also telling you, I can't tell you how many church, or how, many, how many times in church we've tried to push into the vision that we know that God has called us to, but we've always run into the cement wall of what everyone else used to do in their church. And sometimes we have to unlearn those things so that we can learn from him. Tactics are what they are. Hear my heart in this, okay? Hear my heart. Please hear me rightly I'm not, I'm saying this out of love and I'm praying that it's received gently. I'm just saying that we've got to be emptied of ourself first. Even man-made ideology, we gotta ask the Lord for his. And it's only gonna come through here empowered by his spirit. Not through commentary, not through the famous podcast preacher, not through the latest, greatest theological book that you picked up at Lifeway. Hear, hear Hear my heart, please. Are you with me? If you're mad at me, don't say anything. (laughs) There's gotta be a total, complete surrender an abandonment of all of you to receive the fullness of all of him. It's Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with uh, with Christ. It's no longer I that lives. It's Christ that lives in me. And now the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's dying to self, emptied of self. Because remember, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you'll be my witness. The Holy Spirit is the engine for accomplishing God's purposes. You know, Peter's an interesting guy. I'm gonna ask the team to come on up. What a perfect test case. He's one of my heroes of the faith. Peter, originally named Simon, which literally means pebble. Jesus renames him Peter, which means rock. Interesting, huh? Pebble. That describes um, most of his life. Small, even irritating. Anyone ever had a pebble in your shoe? Come on, anybody? Peter, an unlikely hero. Originally, when Jesus calls him to his purpose, he's a fisherman. He's gruff. He's rough. He's unkempt. He's vile. He's not well-dressed, unlearned, illiterate, brash, sometimes bold, um, had flunked out of rabbi school, basically, pretty much a social misfit, often mischievous, leading to making many mistakes, resulting to what most would just say, that's a failure. Um, it was Peter who took, the, um, he took his eyes off of Jesus when he was walking on water, began to sink. It was Peter who drew the sword and struck the guard in the garden. It was Peter who denied Jesus three times after saying that he would never do that to Jesus. Peter. John MacArthur describes Peter as the apostle with a foot-shaped mouth, often because <laughs> Peter was quick to speak and slow to listen. He's not someone you would have picked first to be on your kickball team. That's all I'm saying. But Peter, man, did God use him. He was indeed the rock in which Jesus built his church, which we saw in Acts 2.42. See, there was such a difference from the Peter who just was walking, hanging around Jesus versus the Peter when Jesus lived inside of him. The anointing that Peter walked in was powerful, filled with the Spirit. He, he, he would teach this, he would preach this incredible, straight-to-the-point gospel sermon, and over 3,000 people got saved. 3,000-plus people stepping into the kingdom in an instant. So what's the difference? The Holy Spirit is the X factor. It's the difference. 
See, there's this big difference from living with Jesus versus Jesus living in you. Listen, church, it's, it's time for the American church to wake up starting right here and right now. I pray this week, and I pray often, Father, just wake us up. Wake us up to the spiritual reality and the battle that is waging. Wake us up to the spiritual reality and, and the victory that is to come. Wake us up. Greg Johnson, pastor of Restoration Church, one of our sister churches and one of my best friends, um, he said this the other day. Something like it. He said, you know, the enemy has slowly edged the Holy Spirit out of the church in America today. You know, whether it be from too many of the abuses of the Holy Spirit or from intellectualism, enlightenment, um, whatever, whatever reason, the enemy is convincing a lot um, of the church today to ignore the Holy Spirit and has intellectually led the church into what I believe is the grave sin of blasphemy. Francis Chan calls the Holy Spirit the forgotten God in his book, where the triune God literally, as I said a while ago, has become Father, Son, Holy Scripture, not Father, Son, Holy Spirit. No wonder why the church is weak and feckless today. No wonder why there is very little power in the church on display at all. No wonder why the church is all but silent on the real issues. I'm afraid instead of spirit-filled believers... um, I'm afraid that we're, we're not seeing that. We're not seeing the spirit-filled believers in constant state of being used, fulfilling their purpose. We've become so comfortable simply being like the unused, unfilled, sealed-up Yeti cup, having so much potential to make such a difference in somebody's life and not living into it. Remember 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Let me read it real quick. For know this, hard times will come in the last days. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanders, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. You know how that phrase ends? The whole text ends like this. It says, avoid those people. Avoid them. Man, does the church look like what I just read today or does the church look more like Acts 2? That's the question. Let me just speak to this for just a moment. I believe that the spirit of suicide, narcissism, the spirit of hate, and the spirit of murder is running rampant in our society today. And it's targeting our younger generation starting at about 14 years and up. If you don't believe me, I'm telling you, I saw the enemy even wage massive warfare on my own son starting around last November. And then I've systematically watched other students in our very church struggle. I'm just being honest and raw right now. Forgive me if I'm saying things that they, I don't want to hurt anybody. I'm just telling you the enemy is after this generation. Look no further than the news of Santa Fe this week. It's horrible. Our battle is not of flesh and blood. Before we vilify this child who did this horrific act, understand our battle is not of flesh and blood. This kid needs Jesus. This generation needs Jesus. This world needs Jesus. Ephesians 6, 12, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. This is where the battle lies. Our battle is in the spirit and only the power of the Holy Spirit will awaken the sleeping giant called the church once again to live into its original purpose of being the hope of the world. We've become so socially aware in the church. We're getting so good at social justice. We will hang our hat on the glory of some, some, some organization in, social, in the name of social justice. But let me ask you, what about spiritual justice? What about eternity? It is not enough to create an organization for awareness, to put on a conference, to have a peace rally, to even end racism, eradicate poverty, fix the water crisis, adopt all of the orphans or even end human slavery and trafficking it is not enough if the gospel is not declared inside it, over it, to it, to see redemption and reconciliation take place in Jesus' name. It's not enough. I'm over it. Here's another thing. Listen, we will never TED talk our way into fixing the brokenness of creation. It's not going to happen. 
We need Jesus. And the church has got to wake up because we were made for this, for such a time as this. We've got to stop playing theology, pontification, I'm smarter than you, and get in our face and beg for the Spirit of God to fill us again, to get us power again, so that we can go in power and be the legacy kingdom impact difference makers. The church has got to wake up. We are to go in power, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're not called to just sit in the premises or just stand on the promises. We're called to go in power, taking this fire with us to make a difference wherever he sends us. So where is he calling us? What's he asking of us to do? You know where I want to start? I want to start with our church just on our face before God, begging for him to fill us with his Holy Spirit. Forgive us for fill in the blank and just beg him to begin to awaken us to the reality of his presence and his glory that would be so stained by it, Isaiah 6 that we'd be ruined by everything and anything else because of him that he would give us more than we can handle so Father would you do that stand to your feet with me lift your hands up to him if you feel led if you feel comfortable with that holy hands before the Lord and just ask him to receive this morning give me all that you got for me God give me all that you got for me God on this day of Pentecost let it be my Pentecost today God give me all that you got for me and we respond to him and we got five minutes more stick with us keep responding let's worship can we clap thanks for listening to the Declaration Church podcast we pray many blessings over you and your journey as you declare him to the nations For more podcasts and teachings, visit declaration.org slash podcast.